Welcome back to Who's On Worst, your movie review podcast on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. Uh, I am your host, Ashley McLennan. With me, as always, my wonderful co-host, Darby Robinson, and the man we need to do this because otherwise we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves, uh, Brett Rutherford, our wonderful producer and the only one who knows how technology works. So thank you for existing, Brett. Little do they know that like the new app that I downloaded for today's episode, I couldn't get to work minutes before we record so don't give me too much credit i can't speak for darby who might actually be you know good at these things i'm not <laughs> i <laughs> once once did an interview uh with the guy who runs breaking tea and i did it on zoom and i've never listened to it ever again after the fact because i'm just like i have to re-listen to this i don't know how anyone edits podcasts i'm not gonna lie i hate listening to myself again so uh the uh, utmost of respect for brett who does this not just for our podcast but i think every podcast on the d-rays bay podcast network so uh kudos to him for all his hard work um yeah today we are talking about bad news bears but not the old walter Matthau bad news bears we are talking about the what was it 2005 2005 yeah in the aughts uh starring billy bob thornton and i will throw it over to darby to give us the old rotten tomatoes summary yeah so the 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 storyline of the bad news bears 2005 is the storyline of the Bad News Bears 1976. It is the it is almost a shot for shot remake in a very weird way. So if you've not seen either of these films, um, <clears throat> the movie synopsis as goes. Uh, Morris Buttermaker, this time played by Billy Bob Thornton, is a burned out minor league baseball player who loves to drink and can't keep his hands to himself. His long suffering lawyer, Marsha Gay Harden, uh, arranges for him to manage a little league team and Buttermaker soon finds himself the head of a ragtag group of misfit players through unconventional team building exercises and his offbeat coaching style. Buttermaker helps his hapless bears prepare to meet their rivals, the Yankees. Well, I already see one problem with that summary in that Marsha Gay Harden was absolutely not his long suffering lawyer, as far as I can tell. And they only met for the first time ahead of that first game. So apparently, and this is something because I read like the the synopsis and I've you know seen the original movie, and like apparently this whole thing is based on he, to to like as like a kind of a court appointed um, like community service type of thing. He's he's doing this, like he's, yeah, he's doing. But but it just it it seemed like there was like a uh, a history that's just not mentioned and it's just I feel like Marsha Gay Harden's character entirely is just like very she's there and she has like a prominent role but it's very underwritten to me her character and we'll talk about it a little bit more later was two characters originally that became one character Mm -hmm. um because later on when they when they have their little you know side thing that's not something I see that original character ever doing like there's just no way that lawyer character, I wouldn't, I didn't even know she was a lawyer at the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I thought she was just a type A, like, you know, mom who had a hundred side hustles and ah. liked to wear power suits. I don't think they ever mentioned that she's a lawyer. It didn't need to be that she was a lawyer. They didn't need to justify even that he was doing this. I thought like there was a, the whole point, I, the, the film could have also been that he just is doing this to like pick up a little bit extra cash. That's kind of how I read it. And that she 
as like the like the the um kind of more successful businesswoman or like I guess a lawyer uh is just like paying him off which is what the film shows to coach this little league team that yeah. her 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 son is on who's kind of like he's like not good and the whole team is like filled with misfits and so it's basically she's just using money to be like hey you're kind of like a like a rake who's just got you know d- just doing odd jobs he's like a uh um uh, he's like exterminating uh well not really actually he's kind of a, he's a exterminator but he's you know has like really i guess a multiple visit type of thing yeah, yeah where he uh is we are introduced to morris buttermaker um getting a ton of rats out of a basement into a living room but then saying like he's he's late for an appointment so you know call him up he'll come back to do the actual getting rid of the rats type of thing uh so he's, you know, he's a schemer. And so this is like a neither scheme type of thing. But yeah, that that whole storyline that's in the Rotten Tomatoes one, I think is just from the original that they just copy and paste it over. Because it's not in this movie. I 100% just read it as her being like this, you know, type A super mom who can't accept that her son couldn't get onto a little league baseball team. And her son clearly isn't very interested in being on a little league baseball team. But she just, she needs him to have, you know, the extracurriculars or whatever. And so forces the league to allow her to put together a team that her son can be on as long as she can come up with a coach. And she comes up with this minor league washout who has appeared, what did they say, in like half an inning? Two third, two two outs. He got two outs before getting pulled with the Seattle Mariners. He's a yeah. Mariner great. Yeah. So yeah, he was in the majors. He had his sip of coffee, as it were. And yeah, it is mentioned that he was with the Mariners. He is the exact same character he is in Bad Santa to the letter from the Very woman so. to drinking as he drives, to not caring a lick about the kids that are around him to you know casual sexism and plenty of casual racism and just we'll we'll get into it a little bit more but lots of really problematic jokes that did not age well at all but what shocked me about this was the director yes this was directed Richard Linkletter, who directed Dazed and Confused, uh, another movie which we may never watch because I think by all accounts is is considered a good baseball movie, which is Everybody Wants Some. Um, the spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, apparently. Cleanser of some kind. Oscar-nominated director of Boyhood, uh, the uh, amazing trilogy of the Before Sunset trilogy. Yeah. Um, like, he truly, like of his time, you know, of his era, one of the best directors and still producing great films. So it's a very strange miss. Um, You mentioned Bad Santa, the two writers of this film, kind of adapters really, because the original, um, the the screenplay has, or the the screenplay has three credits, Glenn uh, Ficarra and John Requois, I think both of them have done, they basically wrote Bad Santa and the subsequent sequels and a number of things. So clearly 2003, you have Bad Santa, you have these two writers, you have Billy Bob and they're just like, perfect. He's kind of playing a, a Morris Buttermaker type of character in that. So let's just do the actual redo. Yeah. Um, but it's such a, I wouldn't say faithful, but it's such a remake 
of the original that Bill Lancaster, the writer of the original, is credited in this screenplay because they are using same shots, uh, many dialogue pieces are are, are redone. The storyline is the exact same, almost beat for beat. But then you have Richard Linklater. So I, the idea of somebody, and at this time, who is a very indie darling director. Like yeah. this is a legit, real, like very big director. Getting a remake of this film, it's such an odd choice. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit for me, for my brain, because it's just, it's not a good movie, even as what it's trying to do. Like visually, it's, I'll say this, I think... Richard Linkletter just really wanted to make a baseball movie. Yes. And told somebody that somewhere down the line. He's like, hey, if you come up with a project, I'm a really big baseball fan, really want to make a baseball movie. If the right project lands, hit me up. And the studio's like, well, you know, we've got this kid over here. Because the reason I say that is because the final game of the season for the Bears and several of the games throughout the season, really, if this was just a kid's movie, which it isn't, obviously, but if it was just like a, a straight up comedy, there's no excuse for the baseball scenes and the game to last as long as they do. Mm. The third the third act of this movie is insanely long. It's like yeah. an entire little league game when they're facing the Yankees. It's wild. Yeah, it's not just like, oh, okay, here are some highlights. It's like, you're really watching the bulk of a game and I noticed that as I was watching it, I'm like, I'm not mad. Like it's well done. And you mm -hmm. kind of feel the emotional roller coaster of that game. And he does that really well, kind of playing with, oh, we actually got a run or, oh, we actually like tied this game. And like the enthusiasm building of, of their skill improving. But the way he filmed that and led his focus so much to that tells me that the man just really wanted to be like Ken Burns baseball. Like he really just wanted any excuse to film a baseball game lovingly and with a ton of, you know, depth to it. Clearly, I think you're 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 dead on about this because in Days and Confused, baseball is a is one yep. of the sub subplots in there is you know, several characters are on the baseball team they even have, you know, a baseball game as part of the the day in the life of these these um, Texas uh, kids, and then he eventually goes on to do Everybody Wants Some, which is about uh, summer league baseball. So Richard Linklater is clearly a baseball fan, and yet maybe he was a huge fan of the Bad News Bears, and just this kind of works. It's also clearly a studio film in a way. It's with, with Billy Bob and fresh off of Bad Santa. I can totally see a studio being like. It's hot. Let's hot. Let's get something in there with Billy Bob being rude to children. That's that's box office gold, baby. And so I could see this also being like a one for them, you know, to set up maybe another one for him. You know, Richard Linklater doesn't really do a lot of films that are necessarily huge box office smashes, but he played college baseball. Oh, there you go. I He's, just looked it up. He, he played loves... uh, baseball at Sam Houston State University. Yeah, Texas book. That's the other thing that really surprised me about this movie too, is that it's not set in Texas, which is such a, like that is such a trademark of the Richard Linklater. And he is so good at the realism of just like yeah. putting you into a moment. And it does feel, he, he does his best to try to get like real locations and and not be too over the top, but it's, 
it just doesn't have the same charm as so much of what he does. And he's constrained by a very much a beat by beat remake script. And it's also just, I don't know who this is for really. The audience is very unclear because it's not for kids at all. It's PG-13, but it's not rude enough. It's decidedly not for teens because who cares? It's not really for adults because you have such a paper thin villain in Greg Kinnear, which is really mm -hmm. disappointing because I feel like this movie might have almost benefited from Greg Kinnear taking on the Billy Bob Thornton role because mm -hmm. he did something really similar in um, a movie called Dear God, like a million years ago, where he was working in the dead letters office of the post office. And he was kind of like this really unlikable jerk, but then he decides to like start answering people's Dear God letters. Um, and it's like this, like, you know, rebuild arc for his character. And I think that if you wanted a guy you could actually come to like, Greg Kinnear was probably a bit of a stronger choice for that. And yet they cast him as the deeply unlikable coach of the Yankees team. And as, as villains go, I don't know what the real threat was, right? Like Billy Bob was almost a, more of a threat to the success of his team than any outside force. It's a very, it's just, it's very weird. I like the character, like there's some talented uh, performers in here. Yeah. Who is this for? The, the plot is like paper thin, but it's not like rude enough or like adult enough for grownups. Cause this, I would imagine is a movie for people that enjoyed the, the first movie? But that's what I imagine. I can I, I would picture that it's for people who watched because I think the 70s were a very different time and I suspect the original Bad News Bears as lewd as it was was a children's movie. It was the like latchkey kid ch children's movie. It was the like here here's a dollar go see a movie. You know you throw <laughs> it on at the cabin when your parents weren't like we're out sitting drinking with their friends outside. Totally. totally. So you would have that like, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old memory of watching this movie in the 70s. And then, you know, you're older, you've got kids who are maybe pushing that age themselves. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, I have really strong memories associated with kind of like the taboo joy of watching this vaguely naughty movie when I shouldn't have. And maybe it would be something that I can share. And, it, you know, it led me to like liking baseball. And maybe this is something I can share with my kids at a certain age to make me feel like the cool parent. And I think maybe that they were trying to glom onto that very specific kind of nostalgia. And remakes are always loved by the studio system, obviously. Obviously. Because yeah. they do rely on that nostalgic pull. And they require so little effort to put together because it's not a, an original story. You don't have to, you know, worry about the ins and outs of creating something unique. And so... I think that that was probably it. They saw something easy. They maybe had somebody on that crew who they needed to put to work before their contracts expired. They might've just owned the rights to it and wanted to use it. That you got the writers and the star two years after Bad Santa. I think they were just like, we, we got, let's just put it all together. This is perfect. What I think is the big flaw to this movie in a lot of ways. I think the biggest flaw is that it's so unnecessary because yeah. the original you know, the, the raunchiness in the kids, like it, it, you know, it is always a classic comedy trope. And it is very funny to put kids and just like, let them curse and like, let them be that. But honestly, I kind of feel like Richard Linkletter, if he could have been given this movie, but with like less maybe reins, I actually think he could have given like realistic kids 
that are a little bit raunchy because like that's sort of and I think if this movie was made today which please if any studios are listening stop no we don't need it again but if you were going to do it today I think with the success of things like Stranger Things we've seen like the popular idea of like we want to go back to like that Spielberg 80s where kids can be like real and yeah. they they're going to curse they're going to be like inappropriate because they're like trying to be adults, but they're not there yet. And there is like, it's, it's different than the very like kids movie, like, you know, oh shucks, like adorable kids. It's like a little bit They're you know, kids are like kind of very multifaceted creatures and it's very fun to like see that. I think Richard Linklater could have done so well. And he, he has like, that's the thing is his, in his career, he captures the human condition really well. And it's like yeah. kids to teenagers, to adults, to like what, like that's what he works well. But this just, it so fell flat. Cause like the kids were so like, I mean, some of them were very funny, but it was so like kid actor. Well, they were just little tropes. Performances. They were just individual yeah. little tropes. And they didn't have any rain to be really interesting. And they were just kind of props for his comedy or mm -hmm. his attempts at comedy for Billy Bob Thornton. And I think that that was the problem. I think you're right. If it had kind of like that, that super eight or that stranger mm -hmm. things vibe mm -hmm. where the kids were the central focus and like, you could see, you know, the, the bit of the bad influence or, you know, their enforced influence on him a little differently um or find out more about them because quite clearly a lot of these kids had a lot of inner turmoil like a couple of the kids were you know first generation americans whose parents mm -hmm. were immigrants and didn't understand the appeal of something like sports or what like why it mattered so much to them and like didn't want to come to it and obviously i think too if you look at it none of these kids had strong parental figures in their life on a day-to-day -day because as you're watching the season progress we only see like two <laughs> you're only seeing like Marsha Gay Harden showing up all the time to every game mm -hmm. because she's like you know just right in her kid's face and the exotic dancers show up at every game I was going to talk about this actually I think that's an important point on its own but none of the kids parents showed up on a regular basis to any of their games and I think that that's kind of telling about these little kind of like lost boy-esque children that would have been a very interesting story to tell then we didn't see any of it. Like a couple of the kids were like, hey coach, would it be cool if I actually took a swing once because my parents are sitting here and I would like to show them that I'm not mm -hmm. like scared of the ball. Uh, but I don't think that it, and he, I think without a different director from Richard Linkler, that subplot even would have been lost. And I thought that that was like a, a really impactful moment of this kid, like going, you know what, screw you. I'm gonna swing away because I got to impress my dad. Yeah, and that's like the one other parent that shows up is like at the very end, Garrow's uh, father like shows up and that's like a completely weirdly mysteriously lost. Like, yeah, they don't really talk about it. And it's because that you only have like super mom who made the team and then these other kids and their parents could very well just not be able to because they're working and they mm -hmm. don't have that. But like, that's not something that gets discussed in, in any way. But Brett pointed out something that I thought was really kind of touching in a way that probably shouldn't have been like, but so Billy Bob joins this team as the coach and doesn't realize that part of his responsibility is to find sponsorship to get the kids jerseys. And so him being this ne'er-do-well, he doesn't have a lot of like, you know, respectable establishments to ask at. So he goes to like the gun range and he goes to the liquor store and he goes to all these places and he ends up getting them sponsorship from a strip club. But 
he you see him kind of dating ladies that are of you know questionable job status throughout the, the movie but I thought it was genuinely very very sweet that these exotic dancers showed up to every single game for these kids without fail cheered them on like they were like the greatest thing to ever happen and I I it wasn't really played for laughs like yeah they were there and like some of the other parents around them were like who are these people but like mm-hmm. you I think felt that these women genuinely cared about the kids doing well I, like it wasn't like Billy Bob was sitting there with them all over him like it was just women sitting in the stands getting excited for the team that they were sponsoring and I thought that was kind of a nice touch and I think like there's something again like I think there could have been something even more there I totally agree that like the idea of this this film like at its core is the idea of like the losers and the the lost and the 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 like society's like kind of fringe that don't get like the privilege like are coming together they're all like joining forces to like have like a like a good time so you have like you know all of the exotic dancers who are like kind of like the unseemly underbelly of the town but they're in the stands like cheering cheering on just next to the, all the like uptight parents and the, all these kids who you have like you know like if they're like disabled or they don't have like they have no athletic talent like Barsha Gay Harden's son or like that you know like or they've never played baseball before like most of the kids it seems like there's this or you have your Kelly Leaks, who's like the bad boy on the, the dirt bike, which we'll get to. Uh, you have this like, like kind of ragtag group. And that's the whole idea, right? Is that they're, they're all coming from different parts and they're all kind of completely overlooked and for like basically less than because of who they are. But then they're showing like they're, you know, being able to overcome and like really like shine through amongst all the other like, you know, preppy, privileged kind of group. So there could have been even more there. I almost would have liked to see one of the kids have like one of their moms be an exotic dancer. Like, yeah, it, and it, honestly, that could have been done so easily too. Um, with I want to say Sammy, what was her name? What was the actual um, girl's name that he goes and gets? Amanda Wurlitzer. Amanda, because she is clearly working at her mom's business in some capacity because she's working at this like flea market mm-hmm. strip mall type booth which i made a note i'm like they mention several times that school is actually still happening this isn't summer like school is in session they talk about being in school because the kids get like roughed up by some of the other kids in the hallway and you know there's like fights with like other children and she's just never at school never ever at school when he goes looking for her and so i'm like if you wanted to use that, it is like very feasible for him to have dated her mother as an exotic dancer. And mm-hmm. so he goes to the establishment and he's like, you know, hey, Suze, um, you know, I know we may not have ended on the greatest of terms, but I was wondering if, and I know, you know, the little uh, Amanda loved baseball and hey, hey, and she could be like, sure, I'll talk the boss into sponsoring your team, but you have to put the kid on your team. And so that could have been a way to bring Amanda in and have that kind of tense father-daughter connection that they have without him being her father. And I think explored that in a different capacity. The problem here is that all of these things that we're like suggesting just like require it to not be the shot for shot remake. 
and yeah. beat for beat remake, which is the like which is the central problem, which is we have this movie already. It's 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 there. It's protected for all the time. They didn't the, the copies didn't get burned. We can still watch it. It's now like digitally remastered. Like there's just so like there are some interesting ideas of like a bad news bears esque movie because there's nothing really that like original necessarily about the idea of like a ragtag group of you know kids coming together like that's like half of the baseball movies we watch like you could still do something but with like that Richard Linklater spark yeah but it doesn't have the IP of Bad News Bears they can't brand that and they can't do that which which is such a funny thing because that's the whole point of the original is that like that sarcastic cynical like look at like corporatization and like the whole idea of the kids with the corporate things and in the original movie it's Chico's bail bonds which there's a little nod to in yeah. here like it's the idea of that being packaged as like an IP is like the kind of counter idea of what that movie was which was a counterculture movie at the time and it's so it's just like so sanitized and like maybe if you could have made it R-rated like Bad Santa like you basically, they wanted to get Bad Santa, but then they wanted to get a few more ticket sales in. So they make it PG-13, but it, it's then this movie that we're talking about, which is like in the middle ground between like, it's not for kids because it's way too inappropriate for like actual little kids, but it's not nearly biting, edgy, or has enough to say about anything really. Like it doesn't bring anything to the table to to appeal to adults or, or older older kids, like older teenagers. Yeah. You could have done like super bad, but with baseball and this would have been a Exactly, exactly, yeah. Like you need, like it's not so much like you need raunchier jokes, you need better jokes. Like a lot of the jokes just like really But I think the, the problem is, is that most of the jokes are at the expense of those around Billy Bob Thornton as opposed to being mm. at him. And I think it would have exactly. been way more fun if he was in there being kind of like this giant jerk and then everybody kind of turned the tables on him a little bit to like give him a little bit of, you know, what he has coming. Um, let's take a quick break and then we'll kind of get back to some of the things that were really problematic <laughs> with this particular movie and maybe a couple of things that actually worked pretty well. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the jokes and how they are pretty much just transplanted from the 70s. Um, let's talk a little bit about why that doesn't work very well in a movie from the aughts. Because you kind of have the introduction to the team. And Billy Bob meets the kids that he's supposed to be coaching. And you have a couple of Latino kids who don't speak any English. So, har har, there's some jokes about kids not being able to speak any English. You know, like, no hablo English. Yeah. Most of these jokes just make Billy Bob Thornton look like a, a racist jackass. And I guess that's the point. But I don't think you need to make jokes at the expense of kids to make that point. Like, you've just shown the guy driving around with beer cans in his car and, like, snatching a check out of somebody's hand before he's even, like, willing to acknowledge the children. Like, the point has been made not a great guy um so you have a couple other like you know regular kids just aren't good you have one that might have narcolepsy not 100 percent sure that kid <laughs> is just a little bit of a weirdo um but then you have one bit and this is the one bit that i will grant this movie because i actually laughed out loud and it it plays into the billy bob is a stereotypical like he, he treats kids like stereotypes there's one black kid on the team and 
he's wearing what was it like 23 22 23 jersey 25 25, 25 thank you and billy bob starts listing off famous black players who wore the number 25 and he's going through a whole list he's like oh so this guy must be your favorite you know ken griffey jr must be your favorite so and so and he's just like railing off a list of black players and the kid's like no 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 and he's like well then who the hell is your favorite and he's like mark mcguire and Darby's got a much better delivery on this line than I do, but like Billy Bob's reaction is just stone cold perfect. And he just says, "But he's a white." Yeah, with the which, which is very which is perfect with his like southern drawl, and it's like completely like shocked uh, and like stuff. But like it's that's a really funny joke because one, it's a joke on yes. Morris Buttermaker. It's a joke on Billy Bob for like not thinking like a black kid is gonna like mark mcguire everybody loved mark mcguire back then he was the the home run king it was like him and sammy sosa were like the two most popular baseball players on earth for that time uh but it's it that's a funny joke the delivery is great the like little extra pronunciation of the h in white is great it was it's a it's a funny joke it's a it's a perfectly good like edgy rude like 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 tough like, like that's where it's like the, more of those jokes would have been great like jokes that like were actually biting and with the actual respect of him knowing jersey numbers for that many talented black players i think was him going oh yeah must be this must be this must be this and then the kids just like nah man i like the steroid king right like it's <laughs> so sorry to break your heart but mark mcguire has my love um like it, it was yeah a really rare instance of really bad jokes working um because it just played off of expectation and i thought it was actually very funny um because you're right it was at the expense of billy bob thornton's character and not the kid which is rare and then you kind of undo it all when the final member of the team rolls in and it's this poor kid in a wheelchair and you're just like oh and you're not you don't feel sorry for the kid but you just know the jokes are going to be immediately terrible by the way he one of the best of the kid actors um uh troy gentile who's barry goldberg on the goldbergs grows up to be uh just very funny like he is really really funny super deadpan about everything great there's a joke later on where he's wearing an eye patch and he's coming in and uh, Billy Bob makes like a, like a, like a, like a, you know, he's basically mocking the kids every step of the way. And then the kid just like completely deadpan is like, I have eye cancer. And it's the funniest delivery. <laughs> it's so Cancer funny. of the eye. Cancer of the eye. That's right. That's the better, that's the better, <laughs> which he doesn't. He actually like, he later tells that to another kid. He's like, don't tell him. It'll be like better. And it's just like, it's so, that is really funny because like, again, you're just like, it's, it's then Billy Bob being like, oh God, oh no, <laughs> like, oh jeez, Like it, very fun. He was very funny. There's gonna be just a lot of just like low, the, the low hanging fruit jokes. It's not that it's like offensive. It's that it's so. It's just all easy. It's just lazy. It's lazy. Yeah. yeah. Re- like so many of the jokes were lazy. One single other terribly obvious joke that made me chuckle and this was again at billy bob's expense because you kind of get the feeling that this is a guy who like you know would have voted in a certain direction and he's definitely not you know the the most liberal sort of fellow and so he's got the kids out with him doing his exterminating job 
and he's having them like throw all the poisons out and he's got the kids crawling underneath the, the houses to throw like you know poison bombs and one of the kid walk kids walks up to him in the middle of all this after they've had like a whole with, the pesticides. with yeah. like all of the, the spray oh. poisons and stuff like that and one of the kids walks up to him and goes what's a carcinogen and he replies liberal propaganda i laughed so hard <laughs> that was so good all of the all of the so pesticide jokes absolutely perfect yeah the kids doing a pesticide spray at yeah. each other hilarious and what does he say to them when they're spraying it? he goes hey hey don't do that don't do that that's expensive that stuff's expensive yeah <laughs> Not so, like you're gonna get sick, but that shit's expensive. It's so funny. Like that stuff, I was like, there was a certain section of this movie, like around the middle, mid, near midpoint, almost before the midpoint, where there was like actually like some pretty funny jokes. And honestly, I think like Billy Bob can do this role very well. Like it's yeah, it's very much like the drunken degenerate who's just like. He like and he does a pretty good job with the material the problem is so much of the jokes are just like what's the what's the 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 craziest thing we can have him say but not necessarily like what's something like right on the edge or have the kids say something right on the edge that's like kind of pushing it but still like funny like i think the problem was they were like what's a shocking thing to say which a lot you know there's a lot of early 2000s yeah. humor that was just like isn't that shocking and it's like yeah it's also just not funny and kind of weird, but there are some funny jokes in here. And then every time there's like a really funny joke and I legitimately got some good laughs in this movie, it would be just such a bummer because so much of the movie is like- A lot of wasted potential. Cause you, if those jokes could land, why couldn't they write more that were actually mm -hmm. genuinely funny? Um, so a subplot we kind of talked about a little bit before the break and didn't get too deep into is the character of Amanda. Mm -hmm. um and so she is a young lady she's probably about 12 11 or 12 and she is the daughter of one of billy bob's former girlfriends and so not his daughter i think that's kind of important yes. is that she is a, the daughter of one of his former lovers and he knows that she was very good at baseball and mm -hmm. so he gets this bright idea that he's going to go track her down and ask her to join his little league team not ask her mother ask nope, her nope, directly yeah. at her job again 11 or 12 years old working a, a full-time job it looked like didn't do much else um and then you know convinces her to join his his team and i ha i hate to say this because the young lady who played amanda has passed away um this is what i would consider a reverse the scout situation <laughs> where I genuinely believe that in the scout they cast Brendan Fraser because he's so likable and is a good actor and they wanted his kind of handsome charming appeal in this that in that case they also never showed close-ups of him doing anything because he obviously mm -hmm. can't play baseball this I believe was the exact opposite in which they found a young girl who was genuinely talented. I think she went on to play like professional little league level or like Olympic she, baseball or so, something so like that. Her name is Sammy Kane Craft. And uh, apparently, according to uh, some, some trivia I looked up, was that she was clocked as high as like 70 miles per hour, like on her pitches. So that like, that's very fat, especially for a child. Yeah. And became a, a musician as well, a talented musician as well. And I think the, yeah. the other like, 
kind of weird piece of trivia is that her, her best friend as she, you know, growing up in, in that part of California was Alana Haim, who is a musician oh, who just the, also the made time. her film debut in Licorice Pizza. Um, so yes. two like California musicians that like aren't actors that have, you know, at the time, right. Alana Haim, I don't know if she's going to go on to act in anything else, um, but one big film role. Um, which so, I thought was pretty cool. And, and uh, Alana Haim, I think, also has, like, her initials tattooed on her arm, Sammy Kane Craft's initials, because they were, like, best friends uh, when, when she passed. So Sammy Kane Craft was in the Junior Olympics for baseball. Um, mm. So she was actually very, very good. Um, but so, like, her performance, as far as being in the game, was excellent. Like, you could tell she was really throwing. You could tell she was really good when people were like, whoa. Uh, but her acting was abysmal. Yeah. It was yeah. really bad. So that's where I do a reverse scout. This is where you could definitely tell. Like, so, like, Richard Linklater's signature is on this movie in a couple of different ways. The soundtrack has a lot of classic rock, which is Richard Linklater to a T. It's definitely yeah. the the soundtrack of his youth. And he loves to cast unknowns. He loves to, that realism. He loves to cast people that haven't acted before. And occasionally you get a Matthew McConaughey. And sometimes you get a nose pinching, head shaking kid from, I can't remember what that kid's name is, but that performance uh, lives in infamy in my brain. It's rough. So like, yeah, you, this is what happens when you cast like, and I think actually that's one of the, the, really roughest parts of this movie is that two of the most key characters in this entire film, because uh, they're the two key characters from the original film, besides Morris Buttermaker, are Amanda and Kelly Leak. And the other worst performance in the movie is Jeffrey Davies, whose only film role was this, as Kelly Leak. And so in the original film, these two characters are played by Jackie Earl Haley, who goes on to be still like a successful actor who's like a real, like legitimately very Oscar talented actor. Oscar nominated, I think. For Oscar nominated, one, yeah. might have even won. I, he, I can't remember he if he won or have. not, but. And then Tatum O'Neill as the, as Amanda in the original. So like you had legitimate, and Tatum O'Neill at the time was a very successful child actor. So yeah, rough, rough stuff. You know, because like some of the other kid actors in this are, are, you know, first time and only time roles. Yeah, there was no like sneaky hidden stars in this. There was none of the kids I think grew up to do much. I will say though, one went on to, well, I guess it would have been filmed the year before or a year or two before. Um, some, one of the kids was in a, one of our Who's on Worst alum movies. The kid who played Engelberg was one of yep. Jimmy Fallon's students and fever pitch oh nice so, yeah so we have two we have two kid actors that 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 made it because yeah you have engelberg and then you also have uh matthew hooper uh troy gentile who also went on but those are but like also those get a lot of lines and you almost wonder if they were actually like kid actors at the time and then because like the thing is with kelly leak and with amanda they're both like this was like their first role they don't really go on to do any other roles like it's and it's rough like obvious they, like, it's very obvious it's and again i, I don't want to like they this is this is a choice to because because sammy kane Crabbe is very talented baseball player so that all looked good and so and so was jeffrey davies but yikes like you have to like there's like a point where they you have to try to care about them kind of getting together you have to care about that like they have lines and it's just like you 
there, there's a big emotional crux of the film is is Morris Buttermaker and Amanda kind of like becoming like a kind of a father daughter relationship and like and it's like all, the whole movie is sort of about finding family but like it's just it's ugh, it's rough it's so rough yeah because it's like you can tell that like she she doesn't want to have any connection initially like she, I think she felt and it's not really addressed outright but you you get the sense that like they formed a connection when he was dating her mother um like he took them you know to the beach and like did things with them that felt family-like and I think she probably as a kid I mean hi child of divorce she probably had the, that connection and felt something there in a in a father-daughter capacity and probably felt very hurt when he left because of whatever happened with him and her mother. Um, and obviously as an adult, you look at that and make, well, whatever happened there was for the best, but she is very like standoffish with him initially. She's like, no, I don't want to help you get out of my way, get out of my life. Like just leave me alone. And then as she continues to spend time with him as her coach, you can sense that need for his, you know, his feedback and his affection. And she starts talking about those times they had in the past. And she's like, well, you know, maybe we could do that again. And he very much brushes her off until the very end of the movie where, cause she's been asking him to take her to like Zuma or wherever this beach is. And at the end, he's like, no, it wasn't that beach. It was this beach. Finally, like showing her that it did matter to him too. And I don't know. It's, it's it's something I think that could have been handled worse under sure. a director. Sure. Yeah. But it's it's definitely not given. I think the amount, amount of emotional depth that something like that probably should. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you'd introduced her mother as a character, it might have made a bit more of an impact. Like you know, okay, I, I respect that you're doing this, but I don't want to come to your games. And okay, you know, he's just going to hurt you again. And she'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm just there to like help, and the kids on the team need me. And there's just different ways I think that that could have been handled that may have made it more obvious, but mm -hmm. I think also would have given it a bit more emotional depth than what it got. It's. I think one of the biggest issues with the the movie besides the the I think a lot of the jokes just kind of like fall flat is just that the emotional stakes of the movie that drive the storyline forward them that you know the kids are coming together uh leading to the end it just it's it's just very paper thin like the the purpose of them trying to win or beating Greg Kinnear and the very preppy Yankees and Greg Kinnear's like try hard like super coach, you know, you know, machismo like thing. Like it, that stuff is like really underwritten in it. And it's just like, there's a point in the story where, you know, the bad news bears start to really get rolling. And especially after the bad boy who like comes in on a, on his dirt bike, Kelly Lee comes in, who's very, very talented. He's the best. Uh, he's super great. So between him and Amanda, like the and the rest of the team is starting to get a little bit more confidence. They they start winning a lot of games, then they're going well. Things are kind of working, you know. There's some like you know good good stuff happening, and like Morris Buttermaker is starting to like you know really connect with the kids in a better way. And there's a funny there's a funny joke that does get paid off where one of the kids is sort of saying how like after a loss early that like it's really like he doesn't want to tell his dad they lost and basically Billy Bob's just like just tell him you won 
Like they just, they, they won't care. He won't see it. And just, they just want to hear that. And so there's like, you're starting to see like a connection between them. He's starting to care more, you know, Billy Bob's starting to care more, but then there's like a weird flip in this final game, which is the entire third act of the movie. And it's so long. It is so so, long. so long that basically Billy Bob becomes like, he desperately needs to win. Like he is completely now starting to like, he's telling one of the kids who's that same kid who's like dad is now in the stands to like lean into a pitch. Don't swing because you're really bad, but we need to get you on base so that Kelly Leak can like hit. And earlier in like the the previous game, he's basically telling Kelly Leak to like just catch everything, you know, like run in front of him, pull a Kevin Kiermeyer, and just Mm -hmm. basically everything in the air is yours. Take steal it from everybody. The problem is I don't get why he suddenly gives a sh. Like I don't get that part. Like I get that he is starting to give a shit about the kids why does he care about winning this trophy so much that's not set up enough no there's no stakes are not there like the payoff should be the kids wanting it that bad but it's not like there's a monetary prize attached to winning it's not like he has a job that is so important and valuable to him that he can't lose it like it's not like anybody's like oh buttermaker if you don't win the trophy this year your job is out and he's like oh no i need this job to pay my bills he doesn't there's care. literally no stakes he's gotten everything he needed he got paid to do this or he's doing it as community service whatever like it like literally there's nothing that's basically saying like if you don't win x what is the what is the point like if you don't win great everybody had a great time and they all you all learned a lesson and uh like it, it could have been set up earlier where he is like because there's a whole point of it like he he had his success in in baseball or he didn't have success in baseball but he makes the show but then he he flames out and he's proud of the fact that he did something getting to the show that many people don't if it was set up that like that's still like a thing that's like driving him that's like he's maybe bitter about that and he he really wants to win or something like maybe that could have helped to be like now he's like oh he's maybe about to win like now he's like actually cares i don't know it just it's so it just seems like it just flips a light because the story needs him to like make kelly leak do this and he you know has to be like all oil or something i don't know you're right because there is no motivation for it it's not it's never paid off like they you know they don't win (laughs) so well and it's like he decides to in the last game he he goes super try hard but then he decides to be like okay i've gone too far because amanda's arm is falling off after they've after they're leading like they've he's done everything to get the lead and it's in the ninth and instead of having a man to go back out there whose arm is tired, he's like, we're going to let other people. And then, then he starts subbing out everybody yeah. and like switching them all around. Puts and so the wheelchair like, kid out there. Kid's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then they, yeah, great. Another great joke. He's, he's bringing it. And then like the, the Yankees start getting runs and, and it, the whole last game, there's that part where it's like suddenly at the very very end with like three outs to go he's like all right i'm i've learned my lesson which is like why did you switch why did you switch back what happened you also then have greg ganier have this moment where he gets ejected because didn't he make 
make his own son cry. So it's like, okay, there's a point where he goes out to the mound. His Greg Kinnear's son is on the mound. And so Kelly Leak's coming up and he's like, just walk him. Or, or it wasn't Kelly. It was like, it, there's basically just like walk him, right? Like we're, we're going to be fine. Like he's the best. Like, and, and the kid's like, no, I can get him. And he's like, just do as I say. So he's getting all, he's getting all like, you know, competitive. And then the kid throws a ball and it gets away from him and almost hits one of the bears. And then Kinnear like loses it and like charges the mound. Is like, you don't throw it people, but it's like, what? Isn't he supposed to be the like, like Cobra Kai? Yeah. Like stand in, isn't he supposed to be like the sweep the leg Johnny? Like what has happened? Why does he care that he threw he didn't even hit the kid. He threw away, like, inside. Shouldn't he be the guy that's, like, trying too hard and he's like, I'll even hit these kids to win and then that's what sends Billy Bob? Yeah, like, telling the kid that he should hit him or something. Then Billy Bob's the one coming out. Oh, you don't throw another. What are you doing? Even it's though Billy so Bob's weird. entire training regimen was hitting those kids with balls. Which is my other favorite joke. Uh, it is nothing... Co- classic comedy is beating kids with a baseball. Yeah repeatedly in a montage it's but then he gets so drunk funny. he passes out and they steal his wallet which i thought was a great yeah. payoff great that great montage. payoff yeah no that whole last that whole last game it just there's character motivation flips and back and forth i don't understand like they get to the point where greg kinnear tries too hard but like it's in a weird way his son you know decides to like walk out the mom is like it, like he gets that less it's it doesn't the it's such a mess it's such a weird mess like because i think if you could have landed that last game better yeah. right like you you end it with the set the bears lose but they they're still have they're having the better time than the winning team they're 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 dancing they're partying they got the exotic dancers joining it like everybody's having a great yeah. time like they yeah. are the team they they actually embody the spirit of like baseball and having a good time and that's they are the true winners right like that's the that's the ending message yeah instead everyone's miserable but to get there it's so weird it do, it doesn't make any sense yeah right, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back and decide who if any we would take to be on our raise roster uh and some final thoughts on the movie so i think we've kind of covered most of the big points of this in that it's a you know it is a shot for shot remake of the 70s original it is a movie with no real audience. It's a movie with a considerably too long and misguided third act. So I think overall, and I mean, Darby, you, you can obviously give me your feedback on this. I, it's definitely not the worst movie we've seen. There was some, you know, standard, pretty good performances. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton's just being his early 2000s Thornton-ish self, which is, you know... I'm a bad guy who wears Angelina Jolie's blood in a vial around my neck kind of weirdo. And that was sort of his heyday. And, you know, some moderately okay kid actors to some borderline terrible kid actors, which is always kind of a price you pay when you're casting children in a movie of any kind. Um, Some genuinely funny jokes and then some truly abysmal ones that missed the mark so wide they might have been a 50 cent opening pitch. And, you know, I, I think overall it, it kind of falls right in the middle. Like it's not, it's not of the scout and it's mm-hmm. probably better than summer catch, but 
it certainly doesn't rise to the high echelons of some of the other schlock that we've watched. It's disappointing in a lot of ways because there's, it's not so much that there's like a good movie here. Uh, I mean, there is, it's, it, it's just was left in 1976. Um, it's it's just that there's there's a, there's some good talent in this movie and like it's directed by and I think the fact that Richard Linklater directed this movie is probably saves this from being an absolute pile of shit. yeah like I think this movie could have been just one of the worst movies we watched had this not been under some pretty deft hands and it did the best it could probably do with this but it's so it's so like it's so bland it's so black it just it doesn't it doesn't have enough heart or soul to really rise it, and and it's really disappointing because the original film is a classic it does have some really edgy and fun stuff to say and it like has a nice like like bite to it that this film just like eh, it just it feels like um i don't know just like an edgy t-shirt from like hot topic rather than like an actual like legitimate like thing it's <laughs> it's a poser it's a this film is a poser and it's and it's super disappointing. Holden Caulfield would hate this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it, it just, it has the reek of like a very studio influenced paint by numbers generic thing. And it just, ugh. it could have been better. It could have been and should have been better, but. Does part of you wonder if perhaps it was better and then the studio may have intervened during the editing process to try to make it, you know, like a summer comedy romp, like the way that sometimes trailers are cut to make movies look way more funny and actiony than they actually are. It totally could have been butchered in the edit. Like I, I'd be, what I just want to know is like, I want like an oral history of like, with Richard Linklater, I was like, why? Why? Why, why did you do this? <laughs> why this movie? Was this it? Like, was this what you could do? Like, did you, did you, were they like, we're going to bankroll two more of the Sunset movies? Oh. Uh, like, if you do this, and he's like, all right. Like, we, we'll bankroll, like, this this crazy film that you want to do for the next 15 years following uh, yep, this, <laughs> this child with Ethan Hawke. Like, we'll, all right, we'll pay you. Uh, to do that movie for like 20 years to do that if you do this this I don't know it's like it just doesn't make any sense as to why somebody would like somebody like legitimately not like a studio hand but like a guy that who's constantly producing very original very unique like voiced things is doing this like completely bland remake it's very strange it's bizarre but uh, you know, it, it there were some funny jokes in there. We got through it, and it's not the worst. But like, there's no reason to ever watch this movie. No, like just watch the original. Like, there's it doesn't make me as angry as like the Sandlot two, but it it's just so forgettable and pointless. And that's why it's it pretty much has been forgotten. Like I, it's such a film that I haven't even like I barely remember that there was a remake to this movie. And I think of all the movies we've watched, both, you know, good and terrible, I took the least notes on this because so little of note happened to like, be like, oh, that joke was ridiculous. Or, you know, oh, that scene was, my notes were specifically, these two jokes were funny. And, oh, that last act was way too long. And that's it. Like, I think I, I complimented the use of the strippers in the stands and, you know, said two things 
the one of the acting performances was terrible like it, there just wasn't much to say because it just there wasn't anything there it's, it's just rough like brett do you have any like did this resonate at all with you you just watched it today i think didn't you like you're the freshest of all of us i did watch it today um yeah my notes were like i took five notes um, I said that nobody can, not many people can play a white middle-aged ass quite like Greg Kinnear. Um, I forget that casual racism was a completely normal thing to include in comedies in 2005, and the casual racism is the joke. Um, I mentioned Brandon Craggs, that was in Fever Pidge, uh, and then I've got my player selection, which I'll save. And uh, I mean, if we want to jump into like the baseball side of things, uh, did. Did Buttermaker, did he, like, change the batting order mid-game? Okay, so so this is by far the most interesting thing in this entire movie. And I was going to save it for, like, our, like, w- like one last thing. But this is the this is the time. This is the time. Because I think we're, we're about we're to talk about the We're one last thing. You're players. good. We're in this. Okay, so there is a, and it's very distinctive in this final game that, that you have Garrow, the, the kid who you know, is like his dad is in the stands and he's gonna like, be like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get a hit. And he's like very bad at baseball, as most of them are. But he is batting ahead of Kelly Leak, right? And so Buttermaker basically says like, lean into the pitch, take your base, get hit, take your base, loads up the bases for Kelly Leak. He's gonna hit a home run, perfect. So he does. And then like, but he's like, I wanna swing, but he still leans in, he takes one for the team. Next time up, same thing. So we know that in the batting order, this small kid is in front of Kelly Leak. In the end, right? So they're like shifting things around. When when Billy Bob has his big change of heart, uh, re-change of heart, and you know puts puts everybody in different positions and whatnot. Kelly Leak is up to bat in the bottom of the ninth to try to make the comeback. Hits it almost to the wall, but it's caught. So almost hits home run. Then the next batter up is Garrow who was in front of him. And I was like losing my mind. How did this happen? What, what happened here? Like it was a plot point in this game. Like but at, and it's at meticulous. One point, he goes out to the umpire to let him know the changes that he's making. And it's like, you cannot change, even in Little League, the order in which the batters hit. You can switch which batters are in that slot. You can bring them off the bench. You can even swap. You can even bring a starter back in in Little League that came off of the game out of the game earlier. But you cannot change the batting order. And he's telling the umpire, oh, yeah, my uh, eight hitter will now hit ninth. My guy's hitting sixth will now hit fifth. I was like, that's not allowed in any level of baseball ever. It's so weird because, like, it feels like this movie is so much meticulous detail about that last game. And Richard Linklater clearly loves baseball. And And understands and knows how it's played. And understands it. And so, like, you have, like, the the plot has, I don't know, it's so, it's so bizarre. Like, out of nowhere, this whole, like, thing is just, like, a blunder at the end. And, uh, yeah, I, it's so weird. Because you didn't need to do that part. Like, you could just still sub everybody in. But, like, you literally have that scene where, uh. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it was like it like it was just like really melting me down mentally because it was such a long game. But then to have like a complete like Calvin ball of of the of the rules at the very end, I was like, no, you can't do this. You can't make me sit through 
an entire little league game in real time yeah and then and then just like change the rules on me i refuse don't Damn accept you, Richard. you don't want it was probably the fault of the writers but the fact that he let it happen was really the the biggest problem with it i think i mean if we're talking about the baseball in general aside from that clear um vacation from reality um <laughs> it's pretty decent i mean it's little league baseball we talked a little bit about how good amanda is and how they show it and i think that that's really the highest point of showing off the baseball in this game is showing her pitch um otherwise most of it is just training up until that last game and it's mostly just kids getting hit by balls and not catching them like it's there's not a lot until you get kind of little glimpses of it in games throughout the season and then that final year-long game that takes place is the, the biggest kind of spotlight. Kelly obviously has a great arm, but I mean, they, it's like a Yoannis Cespedes throw from the corner of third type situation. But yeah, I mean, there's not enough of it to really like give it props. And it lacks a lot of the emotional punch that we've seen other final games have in the movies that we've watched. Like there's no, you know, moment where you know, Tom Selleck or Bernie Mac is like, oh, I'll take the bunt and give somebody else the glory. There's no, the spotlight's very rarely on the players in any of those scenes, which I think is the biggest problem is that it's mostly on the coach. And I think that that kind of dulls any of the impact of the actual sport that we're seeing. And I didn't need the bench clearing brawl to like feel like the more tension from this game. Like it was supposed to be funny. It wasn't. And they moved on, and then that, that was like before you had uh, the Yankees coach, who then had this all of a sudden change of heart, like, "Oh, don't throw, never throw at a batter." It's like these kids were just fighting on the field not that long ago, and now you're upset about a batter getting thrown at. And also, in any little league game, like if there if there was, first off, the game would be canceled uh, if there was a bench clear. Like they would not <laughs> finish the game. And secondly, like if there was a batter hit, like that pitcher is being ejected. And the manager is being ejected from that little league team. If they're anything like the, the, again, I get it. You had to like it's a movie, but uh, yeah, that was a little ridiculous. All right, do we want to wrap up with who we would pick, or do you have a, yeah. a final thought? There? No, that's. I think we're on to this, which is let's let's. Who are we taking? I'm going with a movie with children, by the way. So it's yeah. like a hard. It's we like did a this real Sandlot too. Never forget that's our true. greatest that's true. catcher of all time. I'd no, still uh, pick her to this day. That was Air Bud. Air Bud. Air Bud. Oh, that was Air Bud. Sammy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Sandlot 2 had trash, but no, that was right. That was Air Bud. I don't remember who we took from that one. It was the, I can't remember what her, oh, from Sandlot 2? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember who we took from that. I've anyway. never that movie, thankfully. It's all gone. Uh, I all right, who want, the, you want to go The first? obvious choice. Yeah, I'll take the, uh, the super obvious bet here. In spite of... But is clearly an arm destined for early injury, as far as I can tell, based on her limited ability to get through a single little league game. Uh, I'm taking Amanda because if you can throw 70 at 11 um, and strike out the boys, then I feel like you can do it as an adult too. Uh, so I feel like under Kyle Snyder's um, careful gaze, I think she could go far. What about you? Uh, so I'm going, this is going to be the first time. We've, I, I have decided to take not a player for the field, but somebody for the front office. Oh. Because there is somebody very talented 
on Damn that it. team who has <laughs> who has a mind an analytical eye a mind for the game oh that is prem lahari he was yeah. already getting statistics he was with that ancient 2005 technology he was crunching the numbers and honestly i think he was behind the reason the bad news bears were had their resurgence and made it all the way to the championship with a ragtag group of misfits if that doesn't say get him into an internship with the rays front office now to eventually to take over for eric neander 20 years from now do the same eric neander job approach which is start early learn from the best and slowly work your way up prem lahari future gm of the tampa bay rays i respect it that's a great choice and obviously also brett's choice <laughs> it was also my choice um so i'm looking at the cast right now to try to come up with another one i don't know i might take a flyer on uh, mike engelberg you know big you know left-handed hitter you know, maybe, uh, you know, he gets to go to Yankee Stadium three times a year if he's with the Rays. So, you know, got the short porch out there. Just make some contact. You know, he's on an all-protein, no-carbs diet, just housing hot dogs at Hooters. So, uh, yeah, give me Mike Engelberg. <laughs> he's already he's already training. He's getting that protein straight up. <laughs> yeah. What was the one line from Tanner? We haven't talked about, ta- like, the this version's Tanner. And so maybe we can close with that. Yeah. Because I feel like that was the one line he gave at the Hooters. The only people that put ketchup on their hot dogs or something. Uh, what did he say? Something in Texans. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot remember. It's been two likes to the side. My dad says the only people who put ketchup on hot dogs are mental patients and Texans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so shout boy. out to Tanner. Uh, you know, maybe Tanner t- grows up to be uh, Engelberg's agent or something like that. And uh, <laughs> there, so there you go. We'll get to work with him, too. So good. Well, this one was a movie. It existed. Um, it sure is. It's a phrase I've started to use a lot in my letterbox reviews, uh, which is just it was perfectly adequate. <laughs> I think this might have been sub perfectly adequate. Like it was I think I gave it like two stars on letterbox. It was a movie that happened. And I was no, it, it didn't hurt me to watch it, but I'll never watch it again. Yeah, it's, uh, there's better films from pretty much everybody in this movie elsewhere. So go watch. Yeah, go watch Bad those. Santa. If, if you, you want, want if you wanted this movie, either watch the original Bad News Bears or watch Bad Santa. If well, you were doing it Hayden, for, for... She's an Oscar winner, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely not in Marsha Gay Harden's uh, Hall of Fame uh like rotation it's not in the highlight reel uh we do not have the I think billy uh, bob thornton is an oscar winner as well so i mean it's really not peak performances from anybody involved definitely not definitely not no yeah so uh, i'd skip it if i were you <laughs> uh i think our plan for those who are looking forward to is to record fairly soon again so if you don't like long lulls between your episodes of who's on worst we are going to try to get one out just before opening day um featuring a raise connection a crazy raise connection uh in the rookie 
So spoiler alert there, but we'll also be hopefully recording uh, another episode very shortly in addition to that. Um, TBD might surprise you with it. Who knows? Uh, probably not. I'll probably tell you what it is at the end of the next episode because I'm terrible with surprises and uh, nobody cares. You're just going to listen to it anyway. So, I mean, that's that's why you listen to us, right? Yeah. If you listen to us, do you listen to us? Rate and review! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's it for us for this week's episode hope you liked it don't watch this movie and if you did we're not to blame so thank you so much and have a great one goodbye